We're going to talk today about Jesus' DNA. Rhonda and I were uh, kind of in the car on the way up here talking about she got, um, for Christmas, I think last year, maybe her birthday, got a, one of these, um, um, what is it, 23andMe, is that what it's called? Uh, the DNA test. And uh, I was asking about, you know, we talked briefly about the results of it. I guess they send you a bunch of stuff back and you got to wait all through it to kind of figure it out. And I was asking her about what, what she found out. As for me... Uh, I am, as far as I know, Scotch-English, and then on the other side, mainly Irish, through um, Tennessee and Arkansas and into Oklahoma and through Colorado somewhere. So we're going to talk about the DNA of Jesus and what, what his uh, genealogy was today. We're going to start with Matthew 1, so if you want to make your way there, and we'll be in Hebrews 1 in a little bit. I, I saw a really good cartoon along that line this week. It was two chickens talking in a barnyard. Now, you know, that, that just sets up for a great joke, two chickens talking in a barnyard. And uh, one of them had on a kilt, Brad. <laughs> you know, a, 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 a Scottish, okay, I'm gonna, a Scottish kilt, you know, a plaid kilt. And uh, this chicken said to the other chicken, well, I've been, um, I've been researching my, uh, my ancestry, and evidently, I'm Scottish. I'm from, from the McNugget clan. So, yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Pretty great. And, but the, I'm sorry I didn't bring the picture for you to see, because the picture was worth a thousand words. Wayne? Well, you know it. Yeah, you don't even have to finish the joke. Especially with one with a Scottish kilt on. I mean, you know, yeah. So you're right. Okay, I better get a little more serious, but not a whole lot. Um, now, so we're going to talk today about Jesus' heritage. And let me, let me give you a little bit of, of, of background here. Okay, so um, from the exile in Babylon in 586 B.C., Judea was rarely free from some kind of occupation from another group. So the Babylonians, um, uh, and then uh, uh, certainly after them came Persia and then Greece. And finally, when the, when the New Testament dawns, Rome is in charge. And then in about 38 BC, Rome declares Herod, whom uh, if you're looking for him in uh, the history books, he's often called Herod the Great, although the people in Judea didn't think that of him. Um, they didn't like him a whole lot, partially because he was not an Israelite by descent. He couldn't go to 23andMe and prove Israelite descent. And they, uh, that long line of procession back to David uh, had, had kind of come to an end. Um, uh, so they wanted a link back to the time when, um, when uh, David held the throne and was promised an everlasting kingdom. We're going to talk about that today. And then we're going to jump over for a few verses um, in the book of Hebrews, the, the very first part of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a bit unusual. It ends like an epistle. It has kind of an, um, a greeting at the end of it, like an epistle. But the beginning of it is unlike anything else, we think, that its original readers were uh, Jewish Christians living maybe in Rome, and uh, the writer of Hebrews writes to them to say, if you're thinking about just, by the way, it was legal to be a Jew. It was not legal in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. So uh, the Hebrews writer is basically saying, if you're thinking 
it would be okay to just go back to being Jewish only. You might want to rethink that. And so uh, there's kind of that whole interaction there uh, with that. Is what do we know about Jesus? Uh, he's going to ask the questions. We, we're kind of interested in angels. Is he as powerful as they? We, we've heard he died. So does that mean that he is powerful enough to save? And so the book of Hebrews is going to address um, some of those things as well. Now, both Matthew and the Hebrews writer had the same thing in mind. What they tell us is that Jesus' DNA is both humble and unimaginably glorious. It's humble, Matthew's going to say. His, his origins in many ways are humble. But the Hebrews writer's going to say, but they're unimaginably glorious too. So let's kind of get into this uh, little, little bit of this discussion. Now, um, um, have you caught the ancestry bug yet? Okay, like our friend, the Wayne, the chicken. Um, uh, you know, a lot of what I read, a lot of what I notice, um, people that get into this Ancestry.com thing or whatever um, find several websites they research, and uh, they may stay up all night looking this stuff up. And uh, I found it, it, it's, it's a great thing. And it, it really, I think it has uh, medical implications and all kinds of things. Um, but... It can, can take an inordinate amount of time because some of these people kind of hide um, in, in, the, in the woodwork of your, uh, of, of your background. Uh, one guy said, um, I was looking up my, my uh, ancestry, and evidently my, uh, a lot of my ancestors were part of the witness protection program. I can hardly find them. But uh, <laughs> hopefully that's not the case with me. It kind of, uh, thanks to a sister-in-law who's really good at this stuff, I've been kind of going back. Now, we're, one of these days, Mary, you and I are going to figure out how we're kin. Because my mom was a cherry, and you're a cherry. And um, anyway, somehow those two things have got to come together. But um, anyway, I may have to go to Wade to figure that all out, because I hear he's the family genealogist. Let's read some of Jesus' genealogy. Steve Blair, can I ask you to go? We're going to start with Matthew 1. And read, let's just read the first six verses or so, and then we'll stop. Now, you got some names in there, buddy, to wade through. Okay, there's some interesting stuff we're going to kind of get into. Now, let's go back all the way. Brad, can I get you to read a verse for us? Go to Genesis 12, and I want you to just read verse 3, okay? Actually, read the first three verses of Genesis 12. Genesis 12. And then, Rhonda, because I know you like it, go to 2 Samuel 7, and I want you to read verse 12 and 13, okay? 
All right, we're gonna get there in just a minute. Now, what we gotta catch here is that there are two promises from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills both of them. Uh, the birth of Jesus keeps God's promise here all the way back to 2000 BC or so to Abraham, to his promise there. And Brad, do you mind to read the first three verses of Genesis 12? This is the original promise that, that God gives to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now catch that last phrase, all people on the earth will be blessed through your seed. We believe, and Matthew believed, that that fulfillment was found in Jesus as um, um, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that began there in Genesis 12. So the birth of Jesus keeps God's promise to both Abraham and to King David. So Rhonda, you mind to read uh, about the Davidic covenant? That's, a, that's later by uh, a thousand years or so, uh, maybe 900 years. God makes another promise. He's made one to Abraham that, he, that Matthew's going to say he's fulfilling in Jesus and as the Messiah. And then he makes another promise to David and he, uh, Matthew's going to say he fulfills that one too. Second uh, Samuel 7, verse 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's good. I'm going to, it's interesting, in context, David says, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, no, no, you're not. Good thought, but no. And then God says, I'm going to build you a house an everlasting house in the sense of the house of David, the line of kings. Uh, so uh, Matthew goes to great extent here to trace Jesus' genealogy so that you and I will know that he is the son of Abraham and he's the son of David. Very important distinction here. Now, verse two, I just led with the question, who was Judah? So let me say this to begin with is that um, in verse 2, um, it's going to start tracking um, um, Abraham's descendants. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those things just kind of roll off the tongue, don't they? The great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in that order. So uh, Isaac was the son of Abraham, the child of promise. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then Isaac has two sons whose name are what? Esau Jacob. Jacob and Esau, Right. And Jacob becomes the son of promise, <clears throat> excuse me, whose name is later changed by God to Israel. So when you talk about Israelites or the sons of Israel, you're talking at least indirectly about the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and through his son Jacob. But I want you to go with me. So you might want to keep your finger in the book of Genesis a little bit today because we're, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. I want you to go with me to Genesis 49. Um, Okay, why don't you go with me to Genesis 49. This is actually from the Joseph story, from the end 
of uh, Jacob's life. Okay. Uh, actually, let's go to Genesis 29 first, and then we'll go to 49. We should, should do this in order, shouldn't we? Okay, so in 29... I had a time finding that there. All right. Now the Lord, we're going to start with verse 31. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. That's Jacob's first wife. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. That's his second wife. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, where she said, because my Lord, the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. What's implied there? He doesn't love her. Uh, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his, he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. There's that name. Then she stopped bearing. So it's interesting here that we learn that Judah was certainly the son of Leah who was unloved. Go to 49, Genesis 49. Um, just interesting. The Bible doesn't moralize on that. It's just kind of how it is. Um, okay, 49, I'm going to start with verse 8. This is a, at the end of Jacob's life, he is blessing his sons. He's giving a, um, a blessing to his sons. And when he gets to Judah, here's what he says. Judah, your bro- verse 8. Your, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. As a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. You know, there's this thought of the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's kind of the first uh, indication of that. So Judah is one of Jacob's sons. He's Joseph's older brother. Remember back when we studied Joseph? This is Joseph's older brother. Um, He's not the first, not the second, or even the third son. He's the fourth of Leah. And Leah, uh, his mother, was not really loved by her her husband. Uh, I just find that really interesting. Um, So as far as a pick you wouldn't think he would be the pick, okay? But he's mentioned here. Now, talk about not being the pick, okay, of the 12 sons. We're going to mention in the rest of of these uh, first six verses, so beginning with verse 3, we're going to look at 3, 4, 5, and 6, four women that are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy who would not normally be mentioned. Why would they not normally be mentioned? Girls, don't, don't get mad at me here. But they wouldn't be mentioned because they're girls, for one thing. Okay, just didn't happen. It was a very patriarchal society. So, just is what it is. All right. And secondly, because they all had kind of a unique story. But they're all four in the genealogy of Jesus. So, so let's so look at verse three. Kind of scan verse three here. All right. Um, 
Women are rarely mentioned in biblical genealogies, and the first of four is here, and her story um, we can read about in Genesis 38. So go back to Genesis 38. I'm going to read just a little bit of that story. Now, by the way, this story reads kind of like a novel, but it's true. Um, and I'm going to read just verse, um, uh, verse uh, 26 from Genesis 38. Okay, so... Um, this is Tamar. Um, Judah recognized them. These, these are um, things that she had that were his as a pledge. Judah recognized those things and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Sheila. And he did not have relations with her again. So now, what you need to understand about that little part of the story is that um, Tamar, okay. Um, is found here in Genesis 38. She is Judah's daughter-in-law. Now you can read that story if you want to read Judah's, uh, Genesis 38. Like I said, it reads like a novel. It's like, man, I can't hardly believe that these, these great people in the Bible kind of were up to these kind of hijinks, but okay, human. it's there. Huh? Can't believe they were human. Uh, well, no, they're completely human. You're right, Dan. Uh, and part of the DNA is they're so stinking human. You're right. Um, but, um, but interestingly, she's his daughter-in-law through whom he sires children. Now, that's part of the story of Genesis 38. So she's also his wife to a certain degree. Okay. Now, remember, her, the son that she married uh, is dead, as are two of his brothers. But um, anyway, it's kind of an interesting story. And Judah says, he admits it, he confesses, you're a better person than me. Tamar, that girl, is in this record in verse 3. I think that's really, really interesting. Okay, let's look at another one. There's a, boy, talk about, it. Talk about um, uh, heroes here. Um, verse 4 is going to talk about Rahab. Now, some, would somebody go to Joshua 2? Uh, I'm trying to think. And read 10 and 11. John, can I get you to go over there? Joshua 2, verse 10 and 11. Steve, before you leave, can I get you to go to Hebrews eleven thirty-one 31 in just a minute? Because we're going to hear about Rahab in both of those places, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Okay, now Rahab here is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. What I want you to put in your blank here is that Rahab was not an Israelite. Who was she? She was a Canaanite. She was a... She was a, what would you call a person from Jericho? Jerichoite. Okay. When I, when I lived in Paris, Kentucky, I learned real quick that you didn't call people from Paris a parasite. You just didn't. <laughs> they didn't like that. So, I, so a, a Jerichoite, a Jerichoite, or something. Okay. She was a Canaanite, a pagan, okay, uh, from Canaan. But she has this wonderful encounter with God. Um, John, you read uh, Joshua 2, verse 10 and 11. That is Rahab's testimony. That's her direct quote to the two spies that she was uh, getting ready to hide. She's a Canaanite living in Jericho when they got there. 
Um, her job was kind of spurless, okay? Um, yeah. She was a girl of ill repute, at least at that point, all right? And um, she hid the spies. And what John just read tells about her faith. It says, we've heard about you. We've heard about your God in particular. And I believe in him. But between the lines, she says, I believe in him. He is the God of heaven. The only one who is. It, just wonderful. So that and some of the other things that happened in her life get her to the point where she ends up being included in the, in the heroes, heroes of faith, the faith heroes of faith in Hebrews 10. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. So uh, uh, Steve, read where she's mentioned in 1131. Hebrews 1131. Okay. She's mentioned. By faith, and you heard John read her faith story. Now, she is in this genealogy too. She's not a gener uh, an Israelite, but she was vitally important to, um, to Israel's history. Okay, now, let's meet, you ready? Let's meet her daughter-in-law. Okay, I think I got this right. All right, her name was Ruth in verse five. She was a Moabite. Good luck spelling that. It's kind of, kind of a normal spelling. M-O-A-B is Moab. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. She was from the southeast uh, part of uh, kind of that area of the world. And uh, if you remember, if you read the book of Ruth, um, she embraces her mother's her mother-in-law's faith, by the way, she had two mothers-in-law, one, and then she lost her husband, and now she's going to get another one. Um, and she embraces her mother-in-law's faith. Uh, I put the reference here, here, Ruth 116, which is kind of the salient verse in the book of Ruth, where she says to Naomi, her, um, her um, um, deceased husband's mother, don't ask me to leave you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Just uh, that, that wonderful, uh, it's used in a lot of weddings. Rhonda and I use it in our wedding. Um, um, but uh, here is Ruth meets Rahab's little boy. His name is, he's not a little boy by the time they meet. His name is Boaz. He notices her and, uh, and they have a little boy. And his name is Obed, okay, Boaz and Ruth. Now catch this, Boaz was Rahab's son. I just find that incredible. And so here's Ruth, another kind of unlikely hero here. Um, um, and so um, uh, they have Obed, who had a boy named Jesse, okay, and Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, visits Jesse. Guess where Jesse lived? In Bethlehem. Wow. Samuel visits, the, the prophet and the judge over Israel, visits, uh, actually still during King Saul's reign, visits Jesse to anoint a new king. And um, it, they're in Bethlehem, and, uh, and he wants to meet Jesse's seven sons, and he does, but oh yes, 
There was an eighth. Guess what his name was? David. <laughs> we know the rest of that story, don't we? Uh, wow. Okay, so verse six. How is Solomon's mom identified here? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, Matthew doesn't hide anything. You know, if I'm writing this, I'm saying, you gonna make it, you know, you know, do the PG 13 version, at least this, would you? Yeah. But he doesn't. Bathsheba, and by the way, this was not Bathsheba's first son. This was Bathsheba's second son. How do I know that? Because the first son died, the one that was illegitimately conceived died. Not as a, not as a, uh, uh, God didn't have anything against that baby. It was just the way it happened. Okay? He had something against. He had something against the, his parents. Parents, yeah. They had another son. And guess what his name was? Solomon. Solomon the great king. Okay, we got to keep going on this line, and then we'll jump over to Hebrews in a minute. But John, if I can get you to come back and read verse 16 and 17 out of Matthew 1. Interesting. Okay, so first of all, there are no new names in this verse. Okay? The stars of the Christmas story don't get brand new names. I, I find that intriguing. The son of the living God does not get a new name. He gets a really common name. And all the other major players in the Christmas story don't get a new name either. So uh, I put the references here. We won't go over there for now. But uh, if you read the book, um, Genesis 37, okay, uh, you're going you're gonna to meet Jacob. He's mentioned here in Matthew 1. Different Jacob, but he's named after, okay. You're going to read about Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. That's not a new name. We've read about Joseph, right? Um. Um, Jesus, that name Joshua, we've already talked about Joshua today and, and, and read some out of, out of his book, Yeshua, Joshua, that's not a new name. And I put a reference from uh, Exodus 15, 20. Uh, the virgin mother of Jesus was Miriam. Miriam, Mary in the Greek. Okay, uh, which uh, that was Moses' sister, Miriam. So none of these are new names. I find that just kind of intriguing. Uh, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that God would, chose, would have chosen some marvelous name? Yeah. He did. The name that's above every name. And yet, on the phone this week, I talked to a, a Venezuelan friend whose name is Jesus. You know, I wanted to sing, I've just seen Jesus, right? Um, and by the way, he emulates our Savior too. He's such a tremendous person. Okay, so no new names. 
And then Matthew gives us this 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Wouldn't you love it if, if our 23andMe study would be so simple? Uh, it's not exactly. In fact, if you were to read First uh, Chronicles 3, you find that there's some names that Matthew kind of leaves out of his genealogy, but he includes 14, 14, and 14 um, uh, as kind of the idea um, um, so that you and I can remember or the original readers can remember the most important names out of that genealogy. By the way, some will suggest that reason he uses 14 is that the consonants in David's name, D, V, and D in English, uh, correspond to the number four, six, and four. That's 14 if you add them up. I find that just kind of interesting. Okay, so it's a, it may be just a memory device. All right? Now, yeah, Wayne. I always think 30. Somebody got a better answer than that? I think 30. But... I, I don't know, Wayne. Huh? Today. Yeah. I would think 30-ish. I mean, that's just, I don't know where I learned that, Wayne, but way back in the day, a generation's about 30 years, I think. Okay. So, all right. Now, let's go, let's go to Hebrews. I love to hear it. Um, I can't tell you when I memorized this. But in King James, it just says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, Spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom he also made the world. And I could kind of go on. I can't tell you how I even know it. It has something to do with music. Okay, it's something, it's something I sang, had that in it way back in the day, and I've never forgotten it. So go with me to Hebrews 1. And you heard me quote most of it there. So let's, let's as you're looking at it, let's, um, let's find a couple of things here. Now, we have traced Jesus' human DNA. The writer of Hebrews wants to trace his divine DNA. That's his agenda. And so he begins it here. So in the past... God primarily spoke indirectly. And now put three different references there. In Exodus, he spoke through a burning bush. In 1 Kings, he speaks through a dream. And by the way, there are other places, obviously. In Ezekiel, he speaks in a vision. But the Hebrews writer begins by saying, now he's going to talk to us directly. He's going to send us his son. What do we learn in verse 2? Is it important? I don't think it could be more so. I think there's a lot of theology packed into verse two. Uh, Let me read it to us. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So he's the heir, he's the owner of all things here. Owner of the universe. Okay, he's the sovereign over the universe. This is the son through whom he also made the world. Now, there's an interesting thought. It's, by the way, borne out in the first three verses of the Gospel of John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he talks about the creative element of Jesus. So when you and I think of the Messiah, when you and I think of the Savior, we often think this time of year, especially of a baby in a manger. 
But fast forward 30 years and he's walking around with 12 guys and the guys look at some rock formation and say, man, that is incredible. Look at those huge stones. And Jesus had every right to say, yeah, I know I made them. <laughs> Spoke it into existence. That's the role of God, the Son, the Creator. It kind of makes my head spin. Jesus. But... He was. And I've often said it, Dan, he was as much human as if he were not divine at all. And he's as much divine as if he were not human at all. I don't get that either. I just believe it by faith. And he's the creator. He came into his own and his own received him not. By the way, in John 1, 12, that word is he came into his own things those he created, and they didn't receive him. Okay, verse 3. Like the Father, the Son has a radiance of his own. In John 14, 9, I put the reference there. In John 14, 9, he's going to say, if you've seen him, you've seen me. Um, anybody ever say that, boy, you're the... Uh, now, in Oklahoma, I think it sounds more like this. Spitting image. Uh, by the way, that original phrase was, it was spit and image, not spitting image, okay? And the word spit uh, was an indication of spirit. You're his spirit and image. It was a, it was a shortened version of spirit. So it, next time you say it, at least say spit instead of spitting, okay? That in uh, that's here. That's the thing. Spitting image, I, I, I've said it my whole life. Didn't know what it meant until recently. So it's just, you're the spirit and image of him. So the idea here is he has his own radiance. By the way, I'm, I'm becoming really intrigued. Not that it's going to make me a Christian or make me not one, okay? But on December 21st this year, are, have you ever read this stuff? First time in 800 years. Is it Jupiter and Saturn that come in line? And they're going to create the Bethlehem star. I, I can't wait to see it. I, I just think it would be wonderful to go outside and look at it. December 21st, I think, is the date. So um, what I'm going to try to do is, is not overly spiritualize it, but spiritualize it nonetheless and say, here you go again, showing off, Lord. You know. But here's the deal. If I got this right on verse 3. When you see Jesus, as they did, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be appropriate to say, I see the Father in you. Every once in a while, I'll meet somebody, one of my dad's old friends. I really see your dad in you. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I, I'm, I admired my dad. But it's not, I see your Father in you, it's, I see the Father is you. Not, I see the Father in you, but I see the Father is you. The exact radiance. That's what the Hebrews writer says. 
And in verse 4, he's going to begin to compare. He'll spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews comparing Jesus to the angels, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. There's that excellent name, Dan, that you talked about a while ago. The angels were created. The Son is the divine, uncreated creator. There was a first century fascination with angels. Therefore, he's saying, Oh, this is infinitely better. Because he was not created. He was the uncreated creator. By the way, that's the beauty of the incarnation. He who was uncreated took on flesh and lived among us. And so verse 5 ends, just ends with this thought that he's unique. Uh, the quotes are from Psalm 2 and from 2 Samuel 7. Um, what to, the, to which of the angels did, he ever, did God ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you? And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Uh, the son of God is unique. All right, so here's the deal. Yes. That will mess with your head, won't it? He's the great creator and sustainer. Both of those things. It's a great thought, Cindy. So let me fill in your last blanks and we'll go. Matthew tells us he's a man. Hebrews tells us he's divine. If those things are both completely true, my appropriate response is to lean in and listen, don't you think? To listen. Uh, in fact, the book of Hebrews is going to say, whatever he had to say, you better dial into. So during this season of the year, maybe a good approach would be to turn up the volume a little bit because he's going to speak softly. And listen to every word that is said about the Son of God. And listen to everything that he says to you from his word. If he is completely human, and if he is especially completely divine, then I probably ought to listen. Merry Christmas, guys. Good to see you. Listen we'll still be in Matthew 1 next week, okay? I'll see you.